Section 6 of The Sword of Willerin and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jairus Amar The Sword of Wetherin and Other Stories by Lord Dunsany In the Twilight The lock was quite crowded with boats when we capsized. I went down backwards for some few feet before I started to swim, then I came spluttering upwards towards the light. But instead of reaching the surface, I hit my head against the keel of a boat and went down again. I struck out almost at once and came up, but before I reached the surface, my head crashed against the boat for the second time, and I went right to the bottom. I was confused and thoroughly frightened. I was desperately in need of air, and knew that if I hit a boat for the third time, I should never see the surface again. Drowning is a horrible death, notwithstanding all that has been said to the contrary. My past life never occurred to my mind, but I thought of many trivial things that I might not do or see again if I were drowned. I swam up in a slanting direction, hoping to avoid the boat that I had struck. Suddenly, I saw all the boats in the lock quite clearly, just above me, and every one of their curved varnished planks and the scratches and chips upon their keels. I saw several gaps among the boats where I might have swam up to the surface, but it did not seem worthwhile to try and get there, and I had forgotten why I wanted to. Then all the people leaned over the sides of their boats. I saw the light flannel suits of the men and the colored flowers of the women's hats, and I noticed details of their dresses quite distinctly. Everybody in the boats was looking down at me. Then they all said to one another, We must leave him now. And they and the boats went away, and there was nothing above me but the river and the sky, and on either side of me were the green weeds that grew in the mud, for I had somehow sunk back to the bottom again. The river as it flowed by murmured not unpleasantly in my ears, and the rushes seemed to be whispering quite softly among themselves. Presently, the murmuring of the river took the form of words, and I heard it say, We must go on to the sea. We must leave him now. Then the river went away, and both its banks, and the rushes whispered, Yes, we must leave him now. And they too departed, and I was left in a great emptiness staring up at the blue sky. Then the great sky bent over me, and spoke quite softly like a kindly nurse soothing some little foolish child. And the sky said, Goodbye. All will be well. Goodbye. And I was sorry to lose the blue sky, but the sky went away. Then I was alone, with nothing round about me. I could see no light, but it was not dark. There was just absolutely nothing, above me and below me, and on every side. I thought that perhaps I was dead, and that this might be eternity, when suddenly some great southern hills rose up all round about me, 
and I was lying on the warm grassy slope in a valley in England. It was a valley that I had known well when I was young, but I had not seen it now for many years. Beside me stood the tall flower of the mint. I saw the sweet-smelling thyme flower, and one or two wild strawberries. There came up to me, from fields below me, the beautiful smell of hay, and there was a break in the voice of the cuckoo. There was a feeling of summer and of evening and of lateness and of Sabbath in the air. The sky was calm and full of a strange color, and the sun was low. The bells in the church in the village were all a-ring, and the chimes went wandering with echoes up the valley towards the sun. And whenever the echoes died, a new chime was born. And all the people of the village walked up a stone-paved path under a black oak porch and went into the church. And the chimes stopped, and the people of the village began to sing. And the level sunlight shone on the white tombstones that stood all round the church. Then there was a stillness in the village, and shouts and laughter came up from the valley no more. Only the occasional sound of the organ and of song. And the blue butterflies, those that loved the chalk, came and perched themselves on the tall grasses, five or six sometimes on a single piece of grass, and they closed their wings and slept, and the grass spent a little beneath them. And from the woods along the tops of the hills, the rabbits came hopping out and nibbled the grass, and hopped a little further and nibbled again, and the large daisies closed their petals up, and the birds began to sing. Then the hills spoke, all the great chalk hills that I loved, and with a deep and solemn voice they said, We have come to you to say goodbye. And there was nothing again all round about me upon every side. I looked everywhere for something on which to rest the eye. Nothing. Suddenly, a low grey sky swept over me, and a moist air met my face. A great plain rushed up to me from the edge of the clouds. On two sides it touched the sky. And on two sides between it and the clouds a line of low hills lay. One line of hills brooded grey in the distance. The other stood the patchwork of little square green fields, with a few white cottages about it. The plain was an archipelago of a million islands, each about a yard square or less and every one of them was red with heather. I was back on the bog of Allen again after many years, and it was just the same as ever, though I had heard that they were draining it. I was with an old friend whom I was glad to see again, for they had told me that he died some years ago. He seemed strangely young, but what surprised me most was that he stood upon a piece of bright green moss which I had always learned to think would never bear. I was glad, too, to see the old bog again, and all the lovely things that grew there, the scarlet mosses and the green mosses and the firm and friendly heather and the deep silent water. I saw a little stream that wandered vaguely through the bog and little white shells down in the clear depths of it. I saw, a little way off, one of the great pools where no islands are, with the rushes round its borders where the duck loved to come. 
I looked long at the untroubled world of heather, and then I looked at the white cottages on the hill, and saw the grey smoke curling from their chimneys, and knew that they had burned turf there, and longed for the smell of burning turf again. And far away there arose and came nearer a weird cry of wild and happy voices, and a flock of geese appeared that was coming from the northward. Then their cries blended into one great voice of exultation, the voice of freedom, the voice of Ireland, the voice of the waste. And the voice said, Goodbye to you, goodbye, and passed away into the distance. And as it passed, the tame geese on the farms cried out to their brothers up above them that they were free. Then the hills went away, and the bog and the sky went with them, and I was alone again, as lost souls are alone. Then there grew up beside me the red brick buildings of my first school and the chapel that I joined it. The fields a little way off were full of boys in white flannels playing cricket. On the asphalt playing ground, just by the schoolroom windows, stood Agamemnon, Achilles, and Odysseus, with their Argives army behind them, but Hector stepped down out of a ground-floor window, and in the schoolroom were all Priam's sons, and the Archeans and fair Helen, and a little farther away the ten thousand drifted across the playground, going up into the heart of Persia to place Cyrus on his brother's throne. And the boys that I knew called to me from the fields and said, Goodbye. And they and the fields went away. And the ten thousand said, Goodbye. Each file as they passed me marching swiftly. And they too disappeared. And Hector and Agamemnon said goodbye. And the host of the Argives and of the Archeans. And they all went away, and the old school with them. And I was alone again. The next scene that filled the emptiness was rather dim. I was being led by my nurse along a little footpath over a common in Surrey. She was quite young. Close by, a band of gypsies had lit their fire. Near them, their romantic caravan stood unhorsed, and the horse cropped grass beside it. It was evening, and the gypsies muttered round their fire in a tongue unknown and strange. Then they all said in English, Goodbye. And the evening and the common and the campfire went away. And instead of this, a white highway with darkness and stars below it that led into darkness and stars, but at the near end of the road were common fields and gardens. And there I stood, close to a large number of people, men and women. And I saw a man walking alone down the road away from me, towards the darkness and the stars, and all the people called him by his name, and the man would not hear them, but walked on down the road, and the people went on calling him by his name. But I became irritated with the man, because he would not stop or turn around when so many people called him by his name, and it was a very strange name and I became wary of hearing the strange name so often repeated, so that I made a great effort to call him, that he might listen, and that the people might stop repeating this strange name. And with the effort I opened my eyes wide, 
and the name that the people called was my own name. And I lay on the river's bank, with men and women bending over me, and my hair was wet. End of section 6 Recording by Jarvis Samar